Listen out for the Gospel of Matthew. You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but puts it on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In that same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Matthew chapters 3, 4, and 5. Well, the lights are out. Can we have the lights back on? Thank you. <laughs> he was doing the light thing. Get it? Light. I'm pretty funny. Come on. <laughs> Let's start over. Matthew chapters 3, 4, and 5 are what are called the Sermon on the Mount. And included in these three chapters are the Beatitudes, as well as Jesus' reproof of the Jewish interpretations of the law held at that time. And while we call it a Sermon on the Mount, it really was not a sermon. It was not typed words on a page of paper. Biblical scholars state that it's more to be seen as a collection of the Jesus sayings, his famous one-liners. Jesus was an itinerant oral preacher. He roamed the countryside. He was a wisdom teacher, steeped in the Hebrew prophets and living within the social structures of the Roman Empire's power and domination of first century Palestine. Research shares with us that the Sermon on the Mount are the most important chapters of all of Matthew's gospel because it is the heart and the essence of God's message for God's people. Last week, if you were here and rejoice, Matt preached about the Beatitudes and unpacked that with us, and those are the scriptures that precede the text we just heard about our charge to be salt and light. The Beatitudes, also known as blessings, are not life goals to be obtained. They are spiritual practices for the inward journey. The phrases and images Jesus shared would have been fresh, unique, possibly puzzling, to those who heard them. When Jesus preached about the kingdom of God, he said, blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who search for righteousness. They did not understand that because they were an oppressed people living under the iron fist of the Romans. How could the meek inherit the earth? First century Palestine and the Roman Empire was a harsh place if you were an Israelite. These messages would have awakened them, stirred something up in them, even also insulted those in power and possibly upset the religious leaders who were listening too. And yet, the Beatitudes for those who were listening heard messages of hope and comfort, symbolic bread for the journey of life that was grueling, unbearable and definitely unjust. God's whole message of the Sermon on the Mount was to let people know that God cared less about worldly status and trappings of the earthly life, and God cared more about the heart and soul of a person. God, who had come in human form, Emmanuel, wanted them to see what healing mercy, 
endless compassion and liberating justice look like through the person of Jesus. That is what Jesus meant when he blessed the people of Israel who were not in power, who had no voice, were not in control. Except the one last beatitude that Matt talked about last week, Matthew 5, 11. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter kinds, all kinds of evil things against you on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I agree with Matt from last week when he expressed this vision of Jesus kind of circling up the disciples, almost like a, a football huddle, and talking to them directly and saying these words, blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you. I would like to add that I think Jesus was kind of looking over at the Pharisees and going, making a little face. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you. I think Jesus had a little salt going on. I think he was trying to make a point. His tone was salty. It was a challenge for all to follow him to indeed turn their nose up at the status quo because in that way they were being the salt and light they were called to be. Have you ever heard of being called salty? For today's teenager, whom the sociologists are terming Generation Z, or Gen Z for short, salty is what you call someone who is being sassy, bitter, or downright snarky. Now, I know there are some teenagers in the room, and I hope I've gotten this right. I've worked really hard on this part. Now, salty is not meant to be an insult or a compliment. It's really kind of just a statement about what that person has interacted with you has felt. You've put yourself out there. You've given your thoughts and opinions, and you don't really care what other people think. You are being salty. And whether or not the person wants to hear it, that's their problem. Gone are the days when youth wanted to fit in with social norms that were of their peers, or even the status quo that parents were teaching. Oh no, Gen Z is awake, and they are speaking up and speaking out. And they are also sharing some very important lessons with us the elder generations. Both millennials and Gen Zs are not impressed with anything that might be flashy, have some kind of gimmick or catch to it. They prefer to live life transparently and drink in deep values with authenticity. Whether it be choosing a restaurant that serves only local produce and healthy cuts of meat over a national restaurant chain, driving electric cars that do not harm the environment, purchasing clothing and material goods from fair trade organizations that do not harm animals or underpay their workers. Gen Zs reflect their values in their daily living. They model what they stand for, and sometimes they are very salty. Take, for example, Billie Eilish. She is a recently famous teen music artist and Grammy winner. Young women look up to her because she dresses only in clothes that make her feel comfortable, not in clothes that the fashion and music industry deem the flirty babe overly sexual. Her message and style says that she's gonna rebel against this current time and be an artist who is heard and, su and su successful for who she is inside, 
not a provocative outfit. New York Times writer Petrusik says she resonates with women in a cultural moment when we are all trying very hard to sort out real people from the ones who are merely savvy and ambitious enough to know the right way to curate and present an authentic vibe. Billie Eilish sees authenticity, transparency for herself. One of her fans wrote this, she makes ethical choices in her everyday life. From wearing ethically produced fashion to leading a vegan lifestyle, many people don't take outspoken young girls like Billie or even Greta Thunberg seriously. People diminish them because they are children, but I'm sure grateful to have them as role models. We all know who Greta Thunberg is, Time Magazine's 2019 Person of the Year, who courageously began a global movement by skipping school and starting in August of 2018, she spent her days camped out in front of the Swedish parliament, holding a sign painted in black letters on a white background. The sign said, school strike for climate. In the 16 months since then, she has addressed heads of state at the UN, met with the Pope, sparred with our own president, and inspired four million people to join in the global climate strike on September 20th, 2019. It was the largest climate demonstration in human history. Even Collins Dictionary named Thunberg's pioneering idea climate strike as the word of the year for 2019. And she's not even 18 years old. Thunberg is not the magic answer, but she is using her voice to speak up, to speak for God's creation that we've been entrusted to care for. I could go on and on. Just do a Google search of youth making a difference in 2020. I have to share one more. Avadya Yayesh is a 12th grade student in Bergenfield, New Jersey. He attends a very, very strict Jewish school raised from K through 12. He was bullied and picked upon because he could not keep up with the readings that were both in Hebrew and in English. His parents were very frustrated with him. Finally, they had him tested and learned he had dyslexia. He was unable to complete assignments in English, much less in Hebrew as well. He decided that he would make a difference. He now has a podcast platform, Dyslexia Friendly, and he spends his time mentoring relationships with other students and sharing their stories on his podcast. This is what he writes about his story. I understand there are greater problems and every community struggles with them and that some people don't think dyslexia is a big deal. But dyslexia for a team, coupled with ongoing fights with parents over homework, lack of financing for tutoring, shame and asking classmates for help, these are struggles for us. He says, in our time, especially for young people with developing senses of self and all the vulnerabilities of adolescence, these daily challenges take a significant toll on our mental health and our physical well-being. Yet another Gen Zer making a difference. They're all being salty. They're challenging the status quo and not allowing their ages to keep their voices from being heard. We have a lot to learn from this Gen Z generation. I wonder for you, when's the last time you've been called salty? I was told by a friend her daughter called her that, but I don't think it was meant in a sassy way. 
Have you ever felt called to do something and afraid that your voice would not be heard? Have you prayed to God for strength and courage, but then stopped yourself from acting? What is holding you back? There must be events, issues, concerns, groups of people in 2020 who need our voices and actions as Christians to stand up and to speak out. And even if we get called a little salty, that's okay. Because as Kevin told the kids, Jesus tells us that's our job, to be salty. This lectionary passage today is a pep talk, a pep talk from Jesus to all who have ears to hear. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And Kevin shared a little bit about salt and what it does, but it was necessity. It was a tool for the first century Israelites. They used it for cooking. They used it for preserving things to keep them from putrefying. And the truth be told, it's really hard for salt to lose its saltiness. And all it does is really bring out the flavor of things that are already there. Jesus is charging the disciples to boldly go and own it. Own it and be that salt and light. How are you being called to be salt and light today? In Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 46, Jesus laments over Jerusalem. As he came near the city, he wept over it. He said to them, If you, even you, had only recognized on this day the things that make for peace. But now your eyes are hidden. There will be days that come upon you, and the enemies will set up ramparts around you and surround you and hem you in on every side. They will crush you to the ground. They will not leave without a stone on top of you because you do not recognize that God is among you. That passage fits well because Jesus can see the future for the people of Israel, the temple that will be destroyed if they do not speak up, speak out, be salt and light. What do you think Jesus would lament today? And what are you lamenting today? What are the things in our world that desperately need us as Christians to be salt and light. So we're going to do a little something, and yes, I'm going to make you talk to each other during worship. We're going to take just a few minutes, and I'd like you to turn to three or five people near you, and I'd like you to think about and share with them what are the things that you think Jesus would lament today in our society? What are the ways that we are being called as First Presbyterian Church and as individual disciples to speak up and speak out, to be salty? to be light? And what do you think is holding us back? So I want you to take a few minutes and find some people near you, and let's have that conversation. We're going to call them holy reflections, and then we'll get back together, and I only have one more paragraph after that. So what did you talk about in your groups? Just call out a few things that you think Jesus would lament that's going on in our society or world today, and things that we, as the body of Christ, need to be acting upon. Just call something out. Greed. Greed? Greed. Greed. 
Disrespect. Divisiveness. The environment. Racism. Health care. Say it again. I'm sorry. Homelessness, thank you. Any others? I'm sorry, I'm, I'm, my ears are a little clogged this morning. Yes, aggressiveness and impatience with others, absolutely. Homophobia. Mental health. Polarization. We got a lot of work to do, don't we? Body of Christ, we need to get after it. We are salt and light. Psychologist Jeffrey Kotler wrote a book called Change, and this is what he says about change. When we are anxious about something, sometimes we're not anxious enough to change it because it takes investment of time, energy, and commitment that it's change we something actually really do care about. And the reasons people allow these unhealthy or hurtful lifestyles to go on is people are afraid. Afraid of the unknown, leaving what's familiar and becoming disoriented without our familiar compass. Fear of repercussions, leaving us jobless or friendless, isolated or shunned. Fear that the issue at hand is not really ours to take charge of, somebody else smarter who has more power or resources ought to tackle that. Who am I to speak up and make change? We are the disciples of Christ. Who are we not to? We will not live in fear. We have been claimed by the one who is eternal and is always with us, and it is our charge and our challenge. Go and be salt and light today. Amen.